Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, your host for the next 1.5 hours. No. It always sounds like such a long time, but we, we, we make it as fun as we can and we usually uh, make that time fly, don't we? breezed by. Yeah. <laughs> Good Saturday morning, everybody. Um, apologies, we cannot take live callers today. We do enjoy that, but we are pre-recorded given um, kid activities to be. We just want to blame it on the kids. Those kids, you got to love them, but uh, they're a ton of work, aren't they? I did I have one, I basically just one announcement. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> just regarding next week's show. Yeah. Uh, so that's Saturday, June 8th. Uh, and the topic is public safety. Oh. Uh, that sounds, I don't know how that's. That's a Marshfield Matters that's a Marshfield, type show. Okay, okay. My, uh, my father, Mike, likes to do that. Um, I think he tries to do it a couple times a year, if not more. Just a, just sort of a Marshfield show. And his guest is the, the most recent citizen of the year, Chief Phil Tavares. Correct. MPD. Um, uh, so, yep, so it'll be Mike and Phil Tavares. Yeah. Next Saturday. That'll be a good one. Um, so I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband, Kirk Reed. We're doing a retirement boot camp, so we're specifically targeting, I would say, people in their 50s-ish, 50s, late 50s, early 60s, so people getting, um, or I guess it's age, not, not necessarily age-dependent, but just people getting close to yeah. thinking about retirement. For many people, retirement is some time, some, somewhere in their 60s, but, um, you know, there's could be later, could be earlier, there's a 
um, there's all, there's this whole um, I'm going to segue a little bit. There's there's this like um, the millennials. You know, there's there's this movement or whatever. Um, most mainly by millennials to almost like redefine retirement and there's a there's a word for it i'm gonna not, and i'm gonna forget what it is i want to say it's fire f-i-r-e it's something about retiring early but there's this kirk and i do some reading and there's this whole you know generational shift and in, in this generation of people thinking that they're going to be retiring um very early but not necessarily retiring might be you know um uh, career changing or um, taking a hiatus from a career and then going back and and I've actually had some conversations with people of that generation um, and it's and I'm having some you know it's it's interesting to to be read articles about it and, and this whole movement to sort of redefine retirement although I feel like retirement has been redefined in the last decade or two anyway just based on people it's not like a hard stop and then never work again it's being redefined anyway as as a career change or as um, as just slowing down. I, 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 yeah, and I think I don't know if if part of that is maybe the you know just the I don't know the evidence or the research that's come out about you know the people that do make a hard stop and you know the, the people that have dedicated their lives to maybe a certain one career and then you know psychologically they don't quite really know what to do with themselves after they yeah. stop working and and. Unfortunately, sometimes they get they get sick, or they get yeah. you know either either physically or um, you know mentally. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there's definitely been some evidence about that that should, you know would maybe promote people to uh, or prompt people to you know maybe continue doing something even if it is one or two days a week to keep themselves some, healthy, some kind of a purpose, yeah. you know, to keep keep you know keep them you know kind of driven and keep them going. Um, so long-winded explanation of. I'm still trying to look up fire. Oh, I want. I think that's what it is. It's something, that something retire that early. Sounds familiar. It's like a movement by millennials. Um, anyway, long-winded explanation of the fact that this retirement boot camp isn't necessarily targeted to a cer certain age demographic. Just people that are getting serious about, I guess, planning for a retirement, right. whatever that might be to you, whatever that might mean to you. Um, all right. So we wanted to talk in this section about. Um, identifying and implementing the steps to achieve those goals. So we so, okay. So it's what is financial, independence financial independence and retiring early. Retiring early. Um, yeah, there's this whole. Um, I guess I'll say movement right. and and what I've been reading is that as financial advisors, the planning for people that are hoping to retire very early is going to be very challenging. Well, number one, I mean, it, not th not that in and of itself. I mean, to retire early, you save harder, right? You right. Sa you spend way less, and you you save way more, and you can achieve early retirement. However, the longer the retirement time frame, the more variables there are that can destroy a plan, right? You know, in, inflation over a 50-year period of time is harder to predict. And rate right. of, rates of return over a 50-year period of time are harder to predict. Um, and, and things change. And But not only that, but that there's this whole school of thought that, like, I'll, I'll stop working at age 45, and then I'll take five or 10 years off, and then I'll go back to work at age 55, and then I'll work another 10 years, and then I'll do it again. 
And that's just really, really, really hard to plan for because you take a decade off from work. What are your earnings capabilities when you go back to work? I mean, we see this all the time with yeah. moms that take time off to be with their kids, which is a very respectable and wonderful thing to do, but it's very hard for them to go back to earning the same money they were earning like a decade before. Um, technology changes so quickly, they don't have the experience. I mean, so it's, right. you know, and, and I'm, I'm envisioning that same thing would happen for these people well, that are thinking of, of doing that just I mean, to, what, I, what I just kind of yeah. read quickly was that, you know, by, by saving, you know, a lot at the beginning, they're basically giving them the flexibility to, to not necessarily have to go back to a certain career. They mm -hmm. could kind of do whatever they wanted yep. to earn some income because they've basically positioned themselves to be in pretty good shape uh, financially. I, I hope that works out for you. You're retiring <laughs> at 45. I hope that works out for you. I mean, You've got sounds, like a fallback plan. Yeah, I mean, if, <laughs> I suppose if you saved, I mean, you'd have to save, I don't know, 20 or 30 percent of your income. Um, oh, easily. You know, per if year. If not more. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah it's, I mean, we actually have a friend. I, I know. I, we, kinda, I thought about that. We yeah. actually have a friend that is um, trying, trying to achieve this. Yeah. And it, given given the f close friendship, it, you know, we have never talked about actual numbers. But I am so curious about the actual numbers. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Um, so we want to talk about... Um, you know, you created a financial plan or you, you've started to define what your long-term, you know, goals are and started to create a plan that's hopefully successful long-term. And, um, you know, if you're working with an advisor, obviously that advisor is going to be helping you, you know, identify these very specific steps for you in terms of what you need to do to achieve that plan. But we just wanted to go over some, you know, and just things in general. Um, obviously the, the guidance we're giving today is more general and can't be tailored to any one person in specific. But um, so just actually pretty simple things like reducing debt and building assets. Um, so let's spend some time on reducing debt for a minute. Okay. Um, it, there is, I would break debt down into high interest rate debt and low interest rate debt, I guess. Um, and so in the category of high interest rate debt, I would put credit cards, um, maybe some other personal type loans, some college loans, if it's like a private loan, general, uh, the, the government loans are lower interest rate, but um, private loans for college, I would group those into, can you think of anything else? I would group those into higher interest rate debt. I mean, yeah, floating rate. Um, I mean, I guess floating rate these days is still relatively low, but, yeah. but that's something you have to keep an eye on. Okay, that's kind, of the, that's kind of the gray area in between. Lower interest rate debt are definitely right now your fixed mortgages. Um, car loans for most people that have good credit, low interest rate debt, um, federal student loans, certainly uh, low, pretty low interest rate debt. Um, can you think of anything else? So I, sort of those are like the, those are the big categories mm -hmm. of, of debts. So when you're talking about higher interest rate debt, my general guidance is pay it down. I mean, you're, you're not going to, depending on what the interest, well, for credit cards, for example, unless it's like a promotional period where you have a zero interest rate, I mean, you're, you, you cannot bank on out earning interest on a credit card with yeah. in an investment in the market. So that's a very easy discussion. You have credit card debt, you need to work as hard as you can to pay it down because you're just, I mean, and again, unless it's a low interest rate, which is probably a promotional type thing uh, for a period of time, um, you know, 
15, 18, 20% on a credit card debt, pay it down. Number, probably number one priority. I can't think of very many situations where I haven't put that at the top of someone's list of to-dos if they have revolving credit card debt. Can you? Um, I agree. Other, now I'm going to kind of skip over those gray areas in the middle, but lower interest rate debts like a car loan, you know, zero to two percent, something like that. Generally speaking, unless you're just the type of person that hates carrying debt, I wouldn't worry about overpaying a car loan um, or paying it off early unless you just are like, I hate having this I car loan. I, know. <laughs> I think psychologically people yeah. don't like having them, but yeah. but if it's if it's a low rate, then it's it's not the end of the world right. to, to just keep it and just as long as you're making those payments. Financially speaking, yeah, I mean, you and I had a, you know, we had a silly little loan for a piece of furniture we bought at Jordan's Furniture and it was like, you know, you, we kind of hated having it, we but still it was have a it. zero percent. <laughs> do still we still have it? have it? But it's zero percent. But it's zero percent. So I feel like every year we're like, should we just pay that off? And yeah. like, no, it doesn't make any sense. But it's zero percent. No, there's no financial incentive. But yeah. yeah, psychologically, it's like, yeah, it's nice to knock that stuff off. But, yeah. But financially. Um, so lower interest rate debt, don't, if it's like zero, one, two, maybe even three percent, probably don't worry about it as long as it's going to go away at, or you know, as long as, as I was gonna say, as long as it goes away before your retirement, which I guess I would stick with that statement mm -hmm. or pretty soon thereafter. Um, let's talk about mortgages and student loan debt. If it, whether it's yours or hopefully if you're in your 50s and 60s, it's not yours unless you went to school later in life. Um, if it's, you know, a lot of people of that age group have take or co-sign or taken on loans to get their kids through school and they feel they feel that they want to um, take on the burden of paying that off and, and not put that on their kids, which is fine, that's their decision. So, I, and I would sort of put those, the mortgage, well, actually that's not true. Let's talk about a mortgage for a minute. Let's assume someone has a fixed mortgage, um, 3.75, four, four and a quarter, or something like that. So that's an interest rate that's- Do you wanna give this this uh, example, like an age, how, like how old are these people, um, or not? Yeah, I guess I'm thinking in late 50s, 60-ish. Okay. So l let's assume you have a um, a pretty low rate mortgage. We just had we just went through the refi boom, right? So pretty much everyone is refinanced to a, a low mortgage comp compared to historical averages, and. Financially speaking, the rate that most people have on their mortgages, even if you don't factor in tax credits that many, or the tax benefits that many people kind of no longer have given the now high standard deduction, even if you don't factor in tax benefits of carrying a mortgage, financially speaking, most people could still out earn their interest rate on a mortgage in a traditional investment if, if they were taking some level of risk with that over investment. The long run. Over the long over a long period of time. Mm -hmm. If you have if you have two hundred thousand dollars of cash in the bank or cash in a CD and you have a two hundred thousand dollar mortgage at four percent. And you're not willing to inv take on inv investment risk. Correct. Then that math doesn't work in your favor to hold the mortgage. Obviously, you're earning a couple percent in a CD, maybe two and a half percent now, and your mortgage is at 375 or four. Financially speaking, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. You would just pay off the mortgage. Let me back up a second. You would, you know, 
you're not foregoing all your cash. You're right. still leaving yourself some emergency cash. This isn't general guidance. I'm just sort of using that as illus for illustrative purposes. Right. So that doesn't make sense. Now let's pretend you have that $200,000 mortgage and maybe there's 10 years left and you're hoping to retire soon. And you have that you know high threes, low four interest rate. And now let's pretend you have a couple hundred thousand dollars in an investment account. That's not a retirement account. So let's let's factor out significant tax consequences or penalties to, to access the money. Now it becomes a conversation related to um, earnings expectations on, on the money in the markets and how much risk you're willing to take, but also comfort level too with carrying debt and comfort level with risk in the market. So, you know, if you have money in a moderately invested or moderately aggressive um, investment account, let's assume it's diversified. If you do the math and you look at <clears throat> historical earnings on a moderate portfolio, over long periods of time anyway, and in the last decade, your, your investment portfolio would most likely out-earn the interest on your mortgage, right? Even if you're not factoring in the tax benefits of carrying the mortgage, mm -hmm. right? Would you disagree? Mm -hmm. No. So from a, fine, from a purely math perspective, in that example, it would make sense to hold your investment and hold your mortgage and just continue paying off your mortgage on schedule. And it wouldn't make sense to liquidate the investment account and pay off the mortgage. But that's just from a math perspective. Um, so we talk all the uh, all the time about how debt is just yeah. And one it, you know one either kind of middle ground item there would be maybe maybe even take take some of the return you know the returns from the investment account and pl apply that to the mortgage you know as far as like extra payments. Yeah. Uh, but you you're, go. but yeah. you're still keeping the investment. You're still keeping that pot of money for down the road. You know, and hopefully it's still going to grow and earn money down the road. So utilizing still, profits so from still, an investment. So you're having account. some flexibility yeah. by keeping the money, but but using it if, if you know towards paying off the debt if that's if there that's you go. a goal. There you go. Um, I'm going to go like one step further. There are some situations I can think of where someone maybe inherited some money, um, and well, I guess it doesn't matter where the money came from. But again, if we go back to that example where you have money in an investment account we're going to call it a non-retirement or a non-qualified account, and you could pay off the mortgage with it, you have to just be very cognizant of tax consequences to do so. Sometimes if you have a high what's called cost basis in that account, there might be very little tax consequences to access that money to pay off the mortgage. And if so, and if it feels good to do that, if there's not, not much in the way of tax consequences, and if you don't like carrying the debt, and even though the math isn't probably doesn't work in your favor to do that, a lot of people just don't like carrying a mortgage, and that might make sense. But you have to bear in mind tax consequences to access a large sum of money like that, especially if you inherited stock positions from your grandmother 20 years ago, and you've just been holding those stock positions. And you know what is the cost basis on those relative to the current market value? And what are going to be the tax consequences in terms of your capital gains taxes to liquidate that? And um, you know, you say the word cost basis to most people, and they don't know what you're talking about. There are certainly some that do, but what we're what you're getting, at, what I'm getting at, is that you need to be cognizant of um, realization of capital gains or what your tax consequences are if you if you're in that um, situation where you have the assets to pay off the mortgage, and if it's not cash. 
Now, most of the time when people inherit funds from someone, inherit assets from someone that are not in a retirement account, most of the time it's very tax efficient to access that money because people get what's called a step up in basis. But sometimes people don't. If they are inherited money that was um, in a trust that was outside of that person's estate, they might not get the step up in basis. So you just have to um, really tiptoe around that and work with your tax professional and your financial professional um, just to make sure that there aren't unforeseen tax mm -hmm. consequences to do that. But you know, generally speaking, the whole should I overpay my mortgage? Should I pay off my mortgage if I have the money you know, sitting somewhere? Um, for me, it's case by case. And it really depends on, can we use this asset for something else? Is, are there other debts to be eliminated? Um, are you light on the assets now? You know, if you're in a situation where you don't have very many assets or maybe you're a little bit behind the curve, you have some statistics we'll get to in a minute, mm -hmm. maybe you're a little bit behind the curve in terms of accumulating assets, maybe you hold it just for diversification reasons. Um, but, you know, case by case, however, there's many, I'm generally, I'm generally a proponent of get rid of debt if you can and get rid of debt as fast as possible because it feels good. Now, what do you think about, like, um, does the question about how long they're going to stay in the house factor into that, that decision? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I don't know, and yeah. I don't know how you would, um, what you would suggest to somebody if, you know, if they said, well, I'm only going to be here for maybe three or four more years, we're going to, you know, we're going to sell it and we're going to, um, you know, downsize, yeah. as, as we talked about earlier. And how would that factor into the math? When it's like a short time horizon before they're going to, before they're planning to sell a home, I don't think people should rush into paying off the mortgage. Because oftentimes it's nice to have a chunk of cash that you can rely on when you're getting ready to sell your home too. Because a lot of times people have things they need to spend money on to get the home sh ready to sh be shown. They have to fix up a few things. They have moving related expenses. Right. Right. Maybe they need to, maybe they find their dream home in advance and they need to put a down payment on it to hold it. Um, so I think it's kind of nice to have assets yep. at your disposal. And, and so I wouldn't rush to pay down the mortgage. And even one other yeah. thing is, you know, you know, Worst case, you know, the house the house depreciates by the time you go to sell it, and now so now you've got less money coming in that you than you anticipated. So right. it'd be nice to have that cash right. uh, on the side right. to, to do whatever you were planning on doing. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Short time horizon. Don't rush to pay off the debt. But if your time horizon is unknown, or if it's a long time horizon before you're planning to sell, then um, again, I'm a proponent of tr pay down the debt, unless you're sacrificing build. You know. Again, but like, you have to strike a balance too. Like, like the one example I can think of where I would say, you know, hold off, let's not overpay that debt is if you're light on the assets to begin with and you need to work hard to, to build those and time is your friend in the world of investing, um, then, you know, start building your assets as, as soon as possible if you're behind the eight ball in that regard and let's not worry about the debt for now, generally speaking. Um, so that's kind of like debt case by case, but if it's high interest rate debt, generally pay it down as quick as you can. If it's low interest rate debt, maybe not. And if it's somewhere in the middle, case, case by case. But generally speaking, I, like, I, like, I generally advise reducing debt. Um, all right, you know, again, identifying and implementing steps to achieve that retirement goal, build your assets. You know, these are very, um, these are almost like no-brainers, reduce debt and build assets, right. but I wanted to touch on um, some specifics in that regard, and I know you have some statistics you wanted to talk about. I just wanted to talk about maybe like the most efficient place to put your savings and the most efficient way 
to build your assets. Um, and when you have some numbers, you can certainly share those. But um, you know, most people that are approaching retirement um, are in their highest earning years, which probably translates to your highest tax bracket years. We have a tiered tax code in this in this um, country, so the more money you make, the higher. Uh, well, the more taxes you pay as a result of making more money, but also as a result of being paying taxes at a higher rate um, or paying at least some of your taxes at a higher rate. So most people that are pre-retirees are um, just in their highest earning years. You know, generally speaking over time as people advance in their careers and, and they, they earn more and more money over time, at least that's the goal. So many people, um, you know, 50s and 60s are, are in their highest tax bracket that they might ever be. And I'm gonna factor out of this conversation potential changes in tax brackets in the future because no one has a crystal ball on where those will go. However, they're pretty low compared to how they've been in, in recent history or, or in, you know, in the last 50 years or so, um, or, or 100 years actually, tax brackets are still are pretty low. And so you know, if you had to make a guess, probably they're going up from here just given the, mm -hmm. the financial state of the government. But um, let's kind of factor that out for a moment because we don't know when and, and how those would change. But you know, most people that are in their highest earning years and in their highest tax bracket years you want to take advantage of tax deductions when you can. So, so generally speaking, you're trying to build assets for retirement. You should be putting as much as you can into deductible retirement yeah. accounts. 401ks, HSAs. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. Thank you for bringing up HSAs. That's one of those things that tend to be forgotten, but they're becoming more and more popular. Um, and that, and you can get a what up to $6,500 a year tax deduction for a family. I think it's something in that range, 6,600 so. maybe. Um, yeah, and that's you know a great chunk of money that you can grow and use that later. Uh, currently and later on medical. Not everybody has that. Not everybody's yeah. eligible for one, but but if you're if you are eligible, it's a good a good place to potentially put some money. If you if you have a high deductible health care plan, and I'm I'm not going to be able to remember the exact specifics or the requirements for a high deductible health care plan, but if you have a high deductible health care plan, you should at least look into whether or not you're eligible for a health savings account. Um, and even if you don't, if you have, I think, if you have an H, I'm sorry, a high deductible healthcare plan, and even if you don't have an HSA offered through your employer, like as a payroll deduction, you can open one up on your own. I, I believe so. Yeah, uh, you can. I, I actually double checked this with a, with someone in the uh, with a health insurance specialist. Uh, yeah, there are companies like Health Equity is one, and um, there's a couple other companies where you can open up an HSA on your own, but your health plan does have to meet that certain requirement before right. you can open up your own HSA. Right. Yeah. Um, I have these figures for this is so this is just okay. Um, and, and depending on wh where you read, they're all they're all different, obviously. Um, so this was from uh, a website called The Balance. Yeah. Uh, basically, I just said you know did a that, search. That comes up on a lot of Google searches. Yeah. That website. Yeah. Uh, and basically, it's you know the title of the um, of the article was average retirement savings um, by age group. Okay. Um, and and also some some targets. Yeah. So you know for for now we'll just talk about maybe like the 50s and, and 60s um, people in the 50s and 60s. So the uh, average savings for 50 somethings. Uh, it says, you can probably anticipate having a sizable cushion of funds set aside for retirement and for emergency by the time you reach your 50s. Uh, but the data suggests that 50 and 60-somethings still have a long way to go. Uh, according to the research, the average retirement savings for people in their 50s 
is $124,831 in 2018. Uh, it's 163,577 for the people ages 56 to 61. Okay. Uh, you know, it goes on to say that's you know far less than you know sort of the the million dollars. That's kind of like a generic uh, you know target, which is yeah. uh, very generic. Uh, but that's you know certainly is is uh, less than that. Um, let's see. Um, for 60s. Um, Let's see. Uh, they earn, average uh, earnings uh, in that group was about eighty thousand uh, dollars in twenty eighteen. So they had twice their income average. saved. Uh, and it says their retirement savings should be roughly eight times that amount uh, by this point, which would be about six hundred forty-four thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of. I mean, that's just kind that's of. That's kind of a sad statistic. They're kind statistic. of giving a generic yeah. um, guideline for you know what you earn yeah. and far as what you should have saved. Yeah. Uh, to kind of you know replace that uh, in retirement, um, so those are just some numbers. Yeah, um, it's hard because a lot of well, it, the amount that your port, the size that your portfolio needs to be to support your your income in retirement is just it's you just can't answer that without doing like a lot of calculations. Right. It depends. I mean, it depends on your level of fixed income. I mean, there are still people, teachers, and and municipal workers and stuff that have really good pensions, and 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 if you're retiring on 60, 80 percent of your, um, you know, last three years of, of income, you know that you probably have a pretty healthy. That's a healthy pension, and your your assets certainly don't need to be um, comparable to the size of someone's who doesn't have that pension and who has Social Security, which for most people is like. I don't know a quarter or a, a you know a fraction of, yeah, of what to their income is. Yeah. Um, so it, it certainly heavily depends on your amount of fixed income in retirement and also your age of retirement. I mean, there are some people that want to work until they're seventy-five or eighty or want to work forever. <laughs>